Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, oh, let me back up here and start in verse 21. I think I need my reading glasses tonight. There we go. Some nights I need them, some nights I don't. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, for this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit? A man, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, as we begin to unpack these verses tonight, some may be wondering why I left off the last verse of this chapter. I left off verse 28. Well, the answer is you're going to see much more next week in our study is because verse 28 is connected with chapter 17 very intimately. So we're going to deal with the end of chapter 16 and verse 28 next week. So you'll find that out next week. You'll find out why we didn't deal with it tonight. Now, looking back at verse 21, though, we see that from this point forward, Jesus begins to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and be killed and three days later rise from the dead. Now, I want to do what I want to do right now at the beginning before we get into breaking down this passage and studying what's written here. I want to show you that this was God's plan all along. And the fact that Jesus would come, be born as a human, live without sin and then be put to death. And then three days later, rise from the dead has always been God's plan before the foundation of the world. Go to Revelation chapter 13 with me. Revelation chapter 13 and look at verse 8. <clears throat> In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. And it says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Talking about this image that the beast made will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Look, listen closely to what this passage is saying. King James actually talks about the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. But here in this this context or syntax, we'll see that the people who are saved, their names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world because of the fact that God knows beforehand who's going to respond, who's not. It's all been laid out. We're living in time. We're living in space. And we're actually having to go through these things. And God's using it for his purposes and for his glory. But this becomes a very deep concept that I want you to see from Scripture tonight, that before God made the world and everything we see, it was his plan because he knew man was going to sin. He knew man was going to need a redeemer. When new man was going to be no longer able to be in his presence because of that sin, God planned before the foundation of the world that Jesus would be the lamb slain in our place. And so, folks, from Scripture, and I'm going to start, I'm not going to take all of them because we don't have time tonight to do that. I'm going to just kind of show you. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve have sinned by disobeying God and listening to Satan instead of God, in chapter 3, God shows up and he speaks to Satan in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15. And this is what he says. 
He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, look closely, it's specific, specific. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so the scripture is very clear. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is the first time we hear this plan being preached in the Bible. Ghost Revelation said it was planned before the foundation of the world that Satan was going to be destroyed by this offspring of the woman. He, oh, you're going to strike him in the heel, but he's going to bruise or crush your head. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12 with me. And Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. The scripture says here, this is hundreds of years before Jesus was even born to Mary. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, there's that he again, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Listen closely though what the prophecy says here. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. So the prophecy said this individual is going to die for the sins of other people. He was going to be put to death. And after he's been put to death, he is going to see more. He's going to see his offspring. The Lord's going to prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here the prophecy said that this individual is going to die for the sins of other people and he's going to make them righteous before God. And after he dies, he's going to prolong. He's going to see, see more days. He's going to come back to life and he's going to be the one dividing the spoil with the righteous. Oh, go with me to Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 verses 1 and then we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 and then we're going to look at verses 14 through 18. In Psalm 1, Sorry, 22, Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you fall so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jump down to verses 6 through 8. By the way, if you know, let's word for word what Jesus was quoting on the, cro on the cross. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. If you know, and we're going to get to that later on in our study of Matthew and we see the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what they were saying word for word when he was on the, in, on the cross. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Go with me to verses 14 through 18 here in Psalm 22. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Folks, can't be any more clear than that. What Jesus went through on the cross was already prophesied in the book of Psalms here and many other places. But here we see it very clearly, word for word, what was said, what happened to Jesus. When Jesus is teaching his disciples that his time and now I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed and three days later I'm going to rise. It wasn't because that was plan B and oh, they didn't receive me as Messiah. So I got to come up with plan B. No, this has been plan A all along. If Jesus became Messiah in the sense of ruling and reigning there in Jerusalem, and not dying on a cross, we'd all be in trouble. The whole world would be done because sin causes death. And because of that, there'd be no life. But because of Jesus's willingness to submit himself to the plan that had been all along, he himself, God, came to this earth, took on human form, suffered for the sins of you and I, rose from the dead by his own power three days later, because the prophecy even talked about that. Go to Hosea chapter 6. Go to Hosea chapter 6. Let me show you what the scripture says here. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. In Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Now, there's a lot to this prophecy, not just pointing to what Jesus was going to do by rising three days later, but also I believe this also pointing to what he's going to do during the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period, when the Jews who are left turn to him in belief. But that's another whole study for another time. But here we see on the third day, he will raise us up. Go back to the book of Psalms and look at chapter 16 with me in verses 8 through 11. Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here again we see the prophecy said that he would not let his Holy One see corruption. The Holy One died. Jesus died. 
But three days later, he rose from the dead like the prophecy said he would. And just this is the passage that Peter preaches from when he's speaking to the Jews. And he references this and he says, wait a minute, David died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But Jesus's body never, well, it didn't decay because the prophecy said your Holy One won't see corruption. Let me give you one more. This is a New Testament passage. Go to Luke chapter 24 with me. In Luke chapter 24, look at verses 25 through 27. This is on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Later that afternoon, that evening, Jesus meets with two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. And listen what, the, what he says here. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I didn't do this Bible study that Jesus did. I just gave you a taste of it. But on a seven mile walk, Jesus actually took the time to walk these men through the study of what the prophecies from Moses, the first five books of the Bible and the prophets, all that had been saying about the coming Messiah. And listen to what it said. Didn't he have to come and didn't he have to suffer these things and then be raised? Why? Because Jesus going to the cross was not plan B. It was plan A. It's been God's plan before the foundation of the world. And folks, listen closely. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're totally missing out on Everything that God has designed in your being created and making this whole world, it's all been designed to point to him and to point to his son and to point you to Jesus. And if you don't respond to this gospel, this good news that this one, the seed of the woman is going to come and destroy Satan and defeat him on the cross by dying for other sins and by rising from the dead three days later. If you never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the whole purpose for why God made this world and why he made you will have been missed and lost. I heard for you, folks, if you don't know Jesus, you need to. I know the Bible says many will go to destruction and many will spend eternity in hell, and few there be that find it. But I'm preaching to those that are listening, and I'm hoping that there be some out there tonight that would say, I need to believe in Jesus. The Spirit of God will be the one opening your eyes. Not because Jim said it just right or whatever. The Spirit of God will be the one that's opened your eyes to this truth. So, not only was this the plan all along, Jesus' death and resurrection, it was now time for this to happen. And Jesus was finally allowing it. Look again at Matthew chapter 16 and look again at verse 21. From that time forward, this is after, remember, Jesus takes his disciples we saw last week away to Caesarea Philippi. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? They come to realize that he's the Christ. He strictly warns them not to tell anyone, but that from that point forward now, he begins to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is now showing them this has been the plan all along and it's time now for it to happen. So I'm going to do real quick as I'm going to before we get to Peter's response to this, I'm going to show you from scripture how Jesus was in full control of when he died. 
the whole time. Even though, as we've seen earlier, the Jews have been trying to kill him. They're chasing him all over the place. He had to leave for a little while, go into Tyre and Sidon, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. He stayed mostly out of Jerusalem. But at this point now, it's time and he's getting his disciples ready. Go to John chapter 7 with me. Go to John chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to walk you through a quick little study in the Gospel of John, uh, how Jesus was in full control of the timing of his death. In John chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 10. It says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, because, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Look at what he's saying. It's not time. Now, after saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, but not publicly, but in private. In other words, he made an appearance at the feast, but not the way he's going to when it was time. All right, keep reading. All right, we'll jump down to uh, John chapter 7, verse 30. Look at verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him. This is when he went to the feast. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. And we see why. Because his hour had not yet come. Even though they wanted to arrest him, some reason supernaturally, nobody does anything. Because it wasn't time. He was in control. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 20. John chapter 8 verse 20. It says, these words he spoke, this is Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Again, why? Because his hour had not yet come. Go to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, look at verses 14 through 18. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, meaning the Gentiles, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Folks, don't miss this. Jesus wasn't put to death in the sense that he had no control over it. I've heard for too long people say, well, the Jews killed him. No, they didn't. First off, you killed him. I killed him. We all killed him. He died because of our sin, not because of his own. But he willingly laid his life down as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. He let happen to him, but he was in full control as to when it happened. Oh, they wanted to kill him a long time before this, but it wasn't time. They wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't. We, I'm not going to take the time to show you, but in the book of Luke chapter four, he's in his hometown of Nazareth. He says a couple things in the synagogue. They get upset about, they take him up onto this hill to shove him off the hill, off of this cliff in order to kill him. And he just supernaturally walks back through the crowd and away, and they're not able to kill him. Why? Because Jesus didn't have his death happen to him. He controlled when it happened and he was in full control. Go to John chapter 12. 
you'll see all of a sudden the scripture starts to change. It's no longer it was not time or I'll lay it down when I choose. Listen to John chapter 12, verses 20 and following. John chapter 12, verse 20. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am will my servant also be. If I, anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, my, is my soul, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come for and to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Then the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And so this has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Folks, all of a sudden, a group of Greeks are wanting to see Jesus. Why? Remember, we studied this earlier. Jesus was sent to the Jews. It was to the Jew first and eventually to the Gentiles. An individual Gentile here, an individual Gentile there was responding. But for the most part, the drawing was the nation of Israel. But all of a sudden, God's moving his drawing from the Jews to the Gentiles. And a group of Greeks want to see Jesus. That only happens when the Spirit of God's doing his work. And Jesus says, it's time. The time has come. The drawing of the Jews is coming to a close for a season. And now it's time of drawing the Gentiles. As we see in the book of Romans, he's doing this to make Israel jealous. And at now, Jews can still be saved. Jews are still coming to faith, but not like the Gentiles during this time. But there's going to come a time when the time of the Gentiles has come to a close. And then he finishes what he promised with Israel. But at this point in Jesus' life, he says it's time. And it's time to what? Time to die. Go to John chapter 13. Look at verse 1. And John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some translations say he showed them the full extent of his love. So folks, as Jesus turns, go back to Matthew chapter 16. As Jesus turns to his disciples here in Matthew 16, verse 21, and it says from that point on, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Don't think for a second that this was a, well, I guess I got no control over this. It's going to happen. No, it was in God's plan before the foundation of the world. And Jesus was controlling every little detail. Remember when they came to arrest him? In the book of John, we see in chapter 18, they come to arrest him. And, and uh, he says, who have, you, who, who have you come for? They're in the garden that night that he was 
betrayed. And he said, who have you come for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Some of our translations say, I am he. Well, that just clarifies what he said in the Greek. He just simply said, I am. And the Bible says they all fell down backwards. They had no control over him unless he allowed it. Didn't he tell Peter, that put away your sword. I could call legion, ten legions of angels. But he intentionally and willingly took the death for you and me. By the way, you think, Jim, you're hammering this awful hard. Yes, because it's going to help you see something at the end of our study. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father's plan that had been all along. And he, even though he had authority and power to do something different, he didn't. He humbled himself to what the Father's purpose for his life was. Hang on to that thought. Now, Peter, although well-intentioned, not only rejects this idea of Jesus being killed, but he also states that this shall never happen to you. Almost as if he personally would make sure it didn't happen, like he had any control. The Jews had no ability to kill him unless Jesus allowed it. Peter had no ability to stop it because it had been planned before the foundation of the world. And as you know, if the scripture said it, it's going to happen. If the scripture says these things must take place, it doesn't matter how many preachers say, well, that's just symbolic. No, it's going to happen. And Peter couldn't stop it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Look, look again at verse 20, 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. How many of you, how many of us, I'm including myself, make rash decisions or statements which spring from our own quote-unquote wisdom or our own flesh instead of being led of the Spirit? How many times do we, too, make a rash decision? We hear something, we see something, and without praying about it, without thinking about it, without allowing God to speak to us, allow, allowing the Scripture to line us up with God's plan and God's will, how many of us, our first reaction is the wrong one? Go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. It's a passage we all know very well, but I think it's one we need to get in our hearts. We could quote it. But in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, listen to what the scripture says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do what? Not lean on your own understanding. If you don't mind, right in the Bible next to that verse, never ever lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Not some of them or whenever you think it is something you can't handle. Uh, now I need God. No, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your paths. Uh, look, I love verse seven. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Go to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. Speaking to Christians, those of us who have been born again, who have the Spirit of God living within us because our sins have been forgiven and He sealed us by His Spirit. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If we've been born again, we're not to even look at things in the way the world does. We're to set our minds on things above. Our first reaction should always be what God has in mind. Well, how do I know? Great question. Great question. Go to Philippians chapter 3. You're in Colossians. Just back up one book to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verses 17 through 21. 
Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. So the question was, how are we to know what God's plan is and what God's will is? Well, we get a little clue here. L look at men and women, other Christians who are actually living the way they're supposed to. Learn from those who actually are people who pray before they speak. Learn from people who show that they actually checked with God before they said anything. Get yourself surrounded by wise counselors. People that pray and learn not just to say, oh, I'm just going to let that person tell me what God wants. No, learn to imitate them. Get yourself around people that make rash decisions. You meet every like we used to be able to do before McDonald's and Burger King closed their lobbies. And you get together every morning early and get a coffee with your grumpy old men or your gossipy ladies. And you get together and just crab about the politics and the president or whether or not you're Democrat or Republican or what. You know what? You're going to act like that. But you spend your time with people that are actually getting together to talk about the Lord, to pray, to share scripture with each other. And watch how you start to become one of these people whose minds is not set on earthly things, but is set on spiritual things. I've had people say over the years, boy, you're a very positive person, aren't you? Well, guess what? It's not because I'm a positive person. It's because my desire hopefully all the time, but most of the time, is to seek the Lord in all things, to listen to His Spirit. And folks, if you know God's Word and you know His promise and you know you're His, how could you not be positive? If God's for us, who can be against us? If He didn't spare His own Son, how will He not with Him also graciously give us everything? The Bible says that if we're His children, we're never going to go begging bread. He's going to take care of us. His Word has got so many promises. And if you get the Word in your heart, you will be blessed and you will be a positive person. I hope people want to have out with me because you know what I just feel better hanging out with Jim but if you're a well the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 do everything without grumbling or disputing no murmuring but if you're a grumbler if you're a negative person you're actually going to be dragging people around you down so how are we going to know what God's will is first you imitate by spending time with other people who actually do set their minds on things above. But there's more to that. There's more. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 16 through 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 16 through 18. So uh, Paul says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The same Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 verse 18 that I consider the suffering of this world isn't even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. When, by the way, he had already been able to see it. He knows what it's like. He's not allowed to talk about it. He wasn't allowed to write about what he saw. But he says, let me just tell you, what we're going through now isn't even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Now look at the next verse here. As we look not into the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. So you, here's, we don't just imitate people who actually do seek the Lord and look at things spiritually. We also now intentionally try not to look at it with what it makes sense to us. Peter's first reaction was, that won't work. That's not good. That's not how we think things are supposed to go. And he was well-intentioned, and he said, I'm not going to let this happen. But he was in the wrong. As you're going to see, his mind was set on things of the earth, things of man, not on things of God. We're to set our minds, and we're to look at things with a spiritual eyesight. Yeah, it may look like that in the physical, but what does God's word say about this? I'm going to look at what God says, not what I see. Go to James chapter 3. Book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verse 13. says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, as you're about to see. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here we see that we want to be one of these people that sees things the way God does. We need to allow God to show us our hearts. Are we jealous of other people? Are we wishing we had their life? Are we wishing our life wasn't the way that it was? Are we not satisfied with the role that God's given us? Whether we're a man or a woman, some people aren't satisfied with the way that God made them. And I was born a girl, but I want to be a boy or vice versa. Oh, stick with me. We're going somewhere in our study tonight. But are you dissatisfied with the role that God has for you? The life that he has planned for you? Are things not going the way you want them to? Peter said, Lord, you're the Christ. And God had just opened his eyes. But he immediately goes when Jesus says, well, the Christ is now going to die. And Peter said, that's not how I had it going. That's not how I think it should be. And his first reaction was to rebuke the same person that he had just said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He went from saying you're the God's son to rebuking God's son. Folks, we've all done it. Oh, Jim, I've never. Oh, yes, you have. How many times have you thought if I were God, I wouldn't have done it that way? Or how could a loving God? And then you fill in the blank. Folks, we've all questioned God. But it's our first reaction that we need to allow the spirit of God to teach us how the first reaction needs to be of God, things of God, not of man, things of the spirit, not of this earth. By the way, did you know that this isn't the first time the disciples have done this? <laughs> Let me show you a couple of things real quick. Go to Mark chapter 8. I love this. Again, well-intentioned. And boy, do we do this in the church today. Mark chapter 8, look at verses 33 through 31. In Mark chapter 8, Verse 33. Yep. Yep. Through 41. Yep. Did I say? 33 through 40, 31. Yes. Thank you. In Mark chapter 8, here we see the account of this again. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, we'll start in verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise from the dead. 
All right, and, and he said this plainly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then he goes on at the rest of this, and we're going to see it back in Matthew. He says, If you're going to follow him, you have to deny yourself and follow me. We're going to come back to that. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 through 55. Luke 9, look at verses 49 through 55. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Here, they said, we saw someone preaching in your name. We told him to stop because they weren't like us. They weren't part of our group. Jesus said, don't tell them to stop. If they're not against you, they're for you. Folks, how, many, how much time do Christians spend judging other Christians because they don't exactly don't see it the way I see it? They're not in our group. And if you're not a Baptist, or you're not a Methodist, or you're not of this, or you're not of that, folks, uh, are they preaching the gospel? Oh, they may disagree with you on baptism. They may disagree with you on women's role. They may disagree with you on different things. But are they sharing that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ? Leave them alone. Oh, you may be well-intentioned because you want to stick for fundamental purity. No, leave them alone. We see in another instance, the disciples said uh, when the Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus go through that town. Should we call fire down on them, Lord? Did we bring judgment? God said, no, just leave them alone. Leave them alone. I think Christians spend too much time thinking they're righteous, thinking they're making wise decisions. And the scripture shows that their first reaction, like the disciples, is actually of the flesh and not of God. Have you ever noticed how often the disciples said, man, we just saw something cool. And God says, relax, you're not looking at it right. Well, the, even the demons respond to us. Just be glad your name's written in the book of life. So, folks, I want to just challenge you. You may think that you're righteous because you have a holy zeal. Peter, in his mind, well-intentioned, had a holy zeal. Lord, I'm not going to let this happen and he wasn't even close to lined up with what God was doing. And I'm just going to challenge and let the Spirit of God speak to you. I think that in a lot of times we Christians do more damage to each other in our holy zeal because we think we're right and everybody has to see it the way we do. And how we handle people also shows whether or not it's the Spirit of God working through us or whether or not it's the enemy. This is our natural tendency, by the way. It's why we must learn to be slow to speak and quick to listen, especially if we stop and listen to the Spirit before we speak. Remember the question that you asked and I asked for you a little bit earlier? How are we going to know what the will of God is? How are we going to know? So our first reaction is actually how God sees it, not how I see it. Well, go with me to the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and, and then especially verse 26. James chapter 1. Look at verses 19 through 21. He said, know this, my beloved brothers. Know this. Don't just read what I said. Know this. Put this in your heart. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Jump down to verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, 
but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Doesn't Jesus say in John 13, verse 35, that by this all men will know you're my disciples by your love one for another? Yet how often have Christians attacked each other because they weren't like us? They didn't see it like I see it. I believe God's big enough to take care of not only getting me lined up with what he has for his plan in my life, but he's also big enough to get you lined up with his plan for your life. And it's time that, that we be known by our love one for another. Oh, folks, I'm not saying that we shouldn't no longer call sin, sin. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people of their sin. John chapter 16, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of their sin and their need for righteousness and the fact that there's a coming judgment. We're to live it. We're to love the word of God, love the truth, live it out. But we've got to spend a little bit less time with our first reaction being what we think is holy and righteous and zealous. But in our anger, tearing our brothers down. Peter was well-intentioned, but he was in the wrong. But Jesus also recognizes that it's not just Peter acting in his flesh, but that Satan is using him to try to get Jesus not to go to the cross. Go back to Matthew 16 again. Peter has just said, I'm not going to let this happen. But look at verse 23. But Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter thought he was right and he had holy zeal, but he was wrong. That's what Paul said about the nation of Israel. He hurt for the Jews. They had a zeal for God, but no knowledge and no love. Everybody thinks he's religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue. He deceives himself. That person's religion is worthless. But not only did Peter in his zeal and his flesh want to stop Jesus from going to the cross, it was Satan working through him. Folks, please listen to me. This is an even more important reason to listen to the Holy Spirit before we speak. So that we aren't used by Satan in the process of our trying to fix somebody or help somebody. If our first reaction is of the flesh, it might be more than just the flesh. It actually might be the enemy of God working through us in our words. And buddy, you better know that God told you to say it before you say anything. That's why we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. And then when we do, it's the spirit of God speaking through us. Go to Matthew chapter 18. You're in chapter 16. Jump over to chapter 18. Look at verses 1 through 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world. Listen to what Jesus says next. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. 
And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Folks, don't miss this. Sin is going to be in the world. Temptations to sin are going to be there. Satan is the ruler of this world for a season. But woe to the one who allows Satan to work through him. Now listen to me, folks. There might be some out there tonight who have actually done these things. They've allowed Satan to use you. You've sold someone that drugs or the alcohol or you bought them the alcohol and they went and crashed the car and killed somebody. Many of us have sinned in many different ways. And the scripture says, woe to him through whom it comes. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to run to him and fall on our knees and say, Jesus, you died for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. I need your righteousness, not in and of myself, but from what you give me. I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. Satan has used me many times. And I even have let out in people going against you. But would you forgive me? He will. He does. Go to Matthew 26. Look at verses 20 through 25. Matthew 26, verses 20 through 25. When it was evening, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Did you hear what Scripture says here again to what Jesus says? Sin's going to happen. Temptations to sin are going to be there in the world, but woe to those through whom they come. Peter thought he was speaking for God, but he was speaking for Satan. Satan was using him. Oh, if you go back to the book of Job, remember how Satan comes before God and, and God points out Job and Satan says, the only reason Job worships you is because you blessed him. You let me have him suffer. Listen to what Satan says. And he will curse you to your face. Of course, God allows it. Job responds wonderfully. He said, naked I came to this world. Uh, naked I'll return. And he worshiped the Lord. But later on, when the next trial comes, his wife comes to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. By the way, were those just the words of his wife or were they also the words of Satan? Folks, I've done it. You've done it. Many of us in our zeal, in our thinking that we were right because we saw it and we believed it so strongly, God's got to believe it too, have said things that were of the enemy and they weren't God's will and God's plan. It's because we spoke before we listened, before we prayed. And I want to challenge you tonight. To begin to become one of those people that when you speak, people listen because they know you've run it through the filter, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And whatever comes out is only going to be what God's told you to say. I want to become one of those people. I've been known for years of being a talker. And you know what? As much as he's gifted me to preach, I don't want to be a guy that's just known for talking. I want to be someone that people say when Jim speaks, God's going to speak through him. Now, that's just going to take practice. That's going to take more of me being quiet and more listening. But that's my desire. I pray it's your desire as well. By the way, this all leads right to 
what Jesus says next in our section of the scripture that we're looking at here in chapter 16. Look at verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. In order to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves by rejecting any notion of our having any ability to be righteous in and of ourselves in God's sight. You know, Isaiah says in chapter 64, we're not going to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 4 through 7, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It, it, you can't be righteous in God's sight. If you're going to first be saved and enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have to deny yourself by acknowledging you have no ability at all to be righteous you have to have this righteousness of God given to you. He was bruised and he was put to death for your iniquities and mine. And the righteousness that he has would be given to us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 puts it wonderfully. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. How did he become sin? Did he sin? No, Jesus never sinned. But God took all the sins of the world and put them on him. And how do we become righteous? The righteousness of God is not because we were good and we we're righteous. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is put on us by faith in what Jesus has done. And folks, the, in order to follow him, you have to deny yourself. Don't think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I believe in Jesus and I'm pretty good. No, no, no. You haven't denied yourself. You're still included in your thinking that you're going to get into heaven. No, I'm going to get into heaven not because I'm a preacher and I've been preaching for so many years or I've done so much or I've read so much Bible or I've given so much money. Folks, the reason Jim Johnson's going to heaven is because Jesus Christ died for his sins. Jesus Christ gave him righteousness when as an eight-year-old boy, I trusted him as my Savior. He He's sealed me. He's the one doing his work through me. And anything I'll be rewarded for that looks like righteousness to you is Jesus's righteousness, not mine. I'm going to heaven all because of Jesus and none because of Jim. I hope you have faith like that as well. But listen closely. There's more to it than that. We also, along with denying ourselves in order to be saved, we must daily deny ourselves. Luke's account of what Jesus says here brings that out. We don't have time to look at it. But Luke's account adds the word daily. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We must daily deny ourselves in order to walk in the spirit, in order to listen to the spirit of God. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passage to many of you. But look at what it says now in the full context of what we've been looking at. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren or brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And in the Greek, that's a daily renewal that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember how we've been looking at being slow to speak and quick to listen? And not letting what comes out of us first be, even though we think it's right, be it of the enemy instead of of the spirit. We're to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. We're not to have the wisdom of man, which is jealousy and anger. But we're going to have the, the wisdom of God, which is peaceable and gentle. It believes God's in control. Doesn't think he needs our help. 
We're to daily put our flesh on the altar. We're to renew our minds through the word and through prayer. And then we'll know what his will is. Who knows, you might be one of those people that become someone that other people imitate because they think you walk in the spirit and you listen to God. In Philippians, go to Philippians with me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord of, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient even to the point of death." Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, on Jesus, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Did you hear what it says? Because of our relationship with Christ and because he's within us and he took a role that the father had for him, even though that role meant death on a cross. And he was God himself. He didn't have to do that. He had the power to do things the way he wanted to. He could have turned the stones and made them into bread. He could have jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and never hurt himself. But he humbled himself when he took the role the Father had for him. Remember how we said that earlier? Are you willing to live the life God has for you? Or are you going to be in charge of what happens in your life? Are you going to choose whether you're going to be a man or a girl? Are you going to be a, male, a female or not or whatever? Or are you going to choose whether or not you are going to call the shots in what happens in your life? Is God allowed to determine his role for you? The ministry he has for you? His purpose? Whether you're to be married or not married? Whether you're to be a wife or a mother? Whether or not you're to be a leader in the church or whether or not you're going to be a servant in the church. Satan was given a role. The Bible says he was one of the guardian cherubs. And he was not satisfied with the role that God gave him. And he said, I want more. And folks, I'm going to challenge you to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12 goes on in verse 3 and says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but each with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. In order to be a follower of Christ, you relinquish the right to control how your life goes, and you allow Jesus to call the shots, just like Jesus did when he surrendered his life to the Father's plan for him. Folks, I'm going to close tonight with one last passage of Scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and following. Ephesians 4. Verses 17 and following. Listen to what the scripture, I'm just going to let the spirit of God and the word of God close us tonight. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus' plan was to submit himself to the Father and he fully controlled every little aspect of it. Even though his disciples tried to stop it and Satan tried to influence them, Jesus continued on and obeyed the Father. And aren't you glad that he did? And aren't you glad that Satan and Peter didn't stop him? Become one of those people who submits themselves to the Father's plan, who daily renews their mind and looks at things with the Spirit of God, not their first reaction. I love you. Look forward to seeing you next week.